the Swamp 24-7 podcast. This is Luke Stampini, and I'm here with Blake Alderman. And we're going to go go back in time a little bit and discuss the 2019 recruiting class and specifically uh, National Signing Day back in February. Uh, Florida landed two new commitments that day, four-star edge rusher Chris Bogle, who was previously committed to Alabama, and four-star cornerback Kyrie Elam. Uh, they also were able to sign commits, Dewan Black and R.J. Henderson, who obviously committed previously but had not signed during the early signing period. Uh, Blake, I guess just kind of what was your biggest takeaway from that day back in February on signing day? You know, I think whenever you look at it, you, if you're a Florida fan, you have to be happy with what they did. You know, they met some needs, uh, uh, offensive line, defensive back, linebacker. All those were really big needs that they had to hit. And, and you know, I think that they did a pretty good job getting – really good kids in their class. I think going forward now, and I think every fan in the world of Florida will, will agree that, it, you know, it's it's about battling Alabama, Georgia, some of these top-tier programs. Unfortunately, the SEC, when you look at recruiting rankings, a lot of these teams on Florida's schedule are up there in the top five, top ten. So I think going forward, you have to be happy with what how they closed out 2019, adding some of those big-time guys. But going forward, you're going to have to get in the ring and battle some of these big-time schools going forward in 2020 with how loaded the state of Florida is. Sure. I think the perception of going uh, and taking a recruit from Alabama is huge. Going head-to-head with a recruit that Georgia wanted and beating them. And to be honest, recently, it just doesn't seem like Georgia has lost too many of those battles. They, they definitely are winning a lot more than they're losing. So I think the perception there is definitely huge uh, for Florida. And like you said, moving forward, you want that to happen more frequently. Uh, for me, probably the biggest takeaway or the biggest um, thing that impressed me is uh, landing Kyrie Elam, uh, a four-star cornerback, to go with Chris Steele, who was already signed and, and enrolled. Uh, and they also had Jaden Hill, another cornerback, and Chester Kimbrough, another guy. Um, Jaden Hill is actually enrolled now. Kimbrough will be coming in the summer. But Florida was super thin at cornerback. They needed to sign a deep class uh, at that position. Uh, and, and they did, and they have elite talent at that position. And why I think that's huge uh, is because looking forward to the 2020 class, everyone I talk to, no one seems to think that that cornerback class is nearly as good as past classes. seems like there's two guys at the top uh, that everyone really likes, and then there's kind of question marks with everyone behind them. Um, and so – with Florida going in and meeting their needs in 2019 at that position, knowing that CJ Henderson's probably going to go pro if Marco Wilson's able to recover from his ACL, um, you know, there's a possibility he could go pro early. He was definitely on the track to go pro early before that uh, knee injury. Um, so Florida addressing those needs and making it not so much a priority in 2020 uh, at cornerback, knowing, you know, kind of what's out there or, or what's not out there. Uh, I think that was that was big, but like you said, along with the that uh, perception of beating Alabama and beating Georgia, uh, we kind of touched on it a little bit. But Florida has nine early enrollees, uh, freshmen who went through winter workouts and and are going through spring practices right now. Uh, last year they had a set or eight early enrollees, one being Randy Russell, who had to uh, medically retire. But it's kind of a new trend in, in college football where. Uh, these guys are, are graduating high school early, getting to their college campuses early. Um, and, and like you're saying, we got uh, nine of them right now for Florida. We have Chris Steele, who uh, we mentioned, 
He's working with the first team cornerback while Marco's recovering from his uh, knee injury. Uh, Kingsley Aguakwin looks like he's working into the second team at center. Uh, Ethan White and Michael Tarquin are two other linemen uh, that are working with the second team. And Mahmoud Diabate, uh, a four-star edge rusher who's on campus now, is kind of fighting for that second team as well, sitting at the third team right now. But I guess, Blake, kind of what is the biggest advantage for those kids that enroll early? I think when you name those guys, Chris Steele, cornerback, huge need in 2019. All those offensive linemen, huge need in 2019. And obviously, uh, Mahmoud Diabate, big need. You lose Ja'Kai Polite, who might have been the most polarizing guy in your defense last year. So I think the advantage that they get is getting in there, learning the playbook, getting Savage, uh, Nick Savage, the strength and conditioning guys to get their hands on them. You know, some of those guys, offensive linemen, especially Ethan White, he's the one guy that everyone knew coming in he was going to have to reshape his body. That's not completely unheard of with some of these offensive linemen as recruits. I mean, some of these guys are eating double cheeseburgers and, you know, double cheese pizzas and all sorts of things. So these guys now are going to get in there work on their body, reshape things, and they're at positions of need like we had already mentioned. And I just think it's nothing but a positive. And I believe Dan Mullen said in one of his press conferences during spring that every guy, freshman that he's had that has made an instant impact has been one of those guys that is early enrolled. I think that that seems, like you said, to becoming the trend. A lot of these guys are expecting to play as freshmen, and I think even some of the coaches out there in college football are even promising that some guys could play as a true freshman. And I think that it just doesn't correlate not early, early enrolling and not playing early. So I think that those guys are going to have a chance to, you know, at least make some meaningful snaps this season just because of that extra uh, time in the playbook, the the reshaping of the body. I think it's just nothing but a positive when you look across the board. Sure. It's, it's a whatever, six months. Is that what it breaks down to? Six extra months of being with Coach Savage and the strength and conditioning program. Uh, six extra months. Uh, with the, the position coaches learning the playbook and, and whatnot. And that's a huge part of it. Uh, I, that, that's a big part of it. I also think it helps that they are going through classes, becoming college freshmen for the first time. That's kind of a, uh, a an odd change, I guess, is the best way to put it for just people. You know, like that first semester of college is can be hectic and they don't have to worry about a football season on top of that. Uh, sure, they have winter workouts and they have spring ball, but it's not the hype of an actual game. And so kind of them making that transition, uh, getting acclimated to just the classes and and the schedule and the routine uh, may help just as much as the strength and conditioning part and, and the playbook part, just kind of understanding like what, a, what it is to be a college student, I guess, or a college student athlete. Learning how to balance uh, your time. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, your head can start spinning when you have all this stuff going on. You know, this isn't high school anymore. So. Adulting is hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so looking at those 25 players that Florida signed in the 2019 class, I guess when it's all said and done, who do you think will have the best career when we look back in three, four, five years? I might be looking at it and, and taking the soft approach out of it, but yeah. I think it's Chris Steele when you look at it. You know, he's a guy that had the high ranking heading in. He's obviously getting first-team snaps. I know it's because of an injury, but regardless, I mean, this is a, a guy who was in high school a couple weeks ago, months ago, is, uh, you know, now he's still, you know, getting first-team reps with a Florida defense. So I think that that is going to help him get his feet wet. You're going to expect to see him some this season, I would assume, with just how much time he's getting there. So, you know, I think that he's going to be one guy. Kingsley Aguekwon is another one, too, that I think, just because when you look at the center position, 
there's not a lot past him, and he seems to be one of those guys that fits the mold of John Hevesy, those tough, gritty kind of guys. So, you know, I, I think Steele is probably the most obvious when you look at it, but, you know, I think Kingsley is a nice little sleeper pick as well. Yeah, Steele should get in there, uh, into the rotation at least this year. Even if Marco is healthy, he will work his way into the uh, cornerback rotation, I would assume. Uh, Aguacuan is a, another good pick because, I, I mean, he may be the starting guy, starting center next year in 2020, and so he may have – he may be a three-year starter, uh, you know, when it's all said and done. Um, I kind of battled back and forth as far as who I wanted to pick. Uh, I, I was kind of leaning towards uh, four-star linebacker Tyron Hopper out of Roswell, Georgia, just because I like his physical profile. He's He started as a cornerback. He moved to safety. He's grown into a linebacker. He's got elite speed, um, speed to go sideline to sideline and make plays. He seems very instinctual, and I think those guys – uh, guys like him, that kind of physical profile that he has, are very productive, um, you know, in the SEC as a linebacker. Uh, but I I went with Mahmoud Diabade, a four-star edge rusher out of Auburn, Alabama. I just love how twitched up he is. He's super explosive off the ball. Um, I, like, just seeing him at these different camps and these All-American games— uh, it, it was clear that he was one of the most explosive edge rushers there was in the country. Um, I, the thing with Diabate is he needs to add weight. And I guess, that, you know, that's what you pay Coach Savage all that money for is to get guys like him who are probably 215, 217 right now and, and get them 235 or whatever and, and be that explosive edge rusher. Uh, that Florida seems to have uh, frequently, and, and in Todd Grantham's defense, like that buck position is going to be is going to make a lot of plays. Uh, go back and look and, and see what he's done in the past. Like his defense is built for that buck position, which Diabate is lining up at uh, to to make plays and and be very productive. Uh, you know, moving forward. I think whenever you look at the draft, too, and you see Montez Sweat and his success there, I think that that's eventually, I mean, that's what Florida fans are going to expect to see out of him. So I think that's a great pick because, like you said, and the one thing that I remember about him being a recruit was during the Army All-American uh, Bowl week during there was him kind of locked up with Nolan Smith, who at the time I believe was the number one guy in the country ranked there. So, I mean, Florida's getting a dude and has a dude on campus now in him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like I said, one of the most explosive edge rushers there is in the country. He's just he's just light in the pants right now. Um, you know, that's it. Uh, Blake, all right, moving forward, 2020 recruiting cycle is in full effect right now. Uh, Florida's had a bunch of guys come on campus. Um, they've already, you know, they have they're sitting at seven commitments right now. Their class is ranked number six in the country, number three in the SEC. Um, just Moving forward, what are what's the kind of one must-win recruiting battle for the Florida Gators? Do you see, um, you know, right now for them? I think Florida fans are somewhat happy with how the trends are coming with recruiting. You sign a top nine class, you've got some big-time guys in the state, but when you look at the roster, I mean, there isn't a five-star. There's not a true five-star anymore. Uh, Martez Ivy, C.C. Jefferson are gone. Those were the last five-star type of guys. So I think that this step this year with how loaded the state of Florida is, not only that, but in Gator-friendly areas, I think the pick has to be Demarcus Bowman for me. Uh, five-star guy at a high school that has been kind to you in the past against a team who won, battling against a team who won the national championship last year in the Clemson Tigers. So I think that that would be a statement win against Clemson where DeMarcus has visited several times. He's at Clemson right now as, as we record this show. So I think that it's a good battle and it's time for Florida to start getting those big time guys, those five stars back on the roster. And I think that that's a good chance for them to do that. 
Yeah, Mark, uh, DeMarcus is a marquee running back, uh, one of the best running backs in the country, um, probably uh, the best running back in the state for sure. And, you know, that's going to be a battle, like you said, with Clemson. Uh, he seems to have some interest in Clemson. This isn't – I don't think it's a, a layup for Florida, in my opinion. I think you're going to have to battle uh, Clemson. Like you said, he's there right now. He, I think the plan is for him to return again in a couple weeks for their spring game. Um, yeah, like if – it kind of goes back to that perception. Like they on signing day, they beat Alabama and they beat Georgia right here. If you can beat Clemson, who seems to be rocking and rolling on the, on the recruiting trail right now, especially after their second title in however many years, uh, that's regardless of him being in the state, regardless of him being at a school that's been friendly to Florida, uh, Florida went going up and, and fending off Clemson would be a huge, uh, huge win for them. Um, Perception-wise, getting an elite running back, a marquee running back, a guy that you can lean on and and uh, you know lead your offense. Uh, for me, I'm going to go a little bit different because I do think Florida has some good running backs on uh, the roster and they'll have them on the roster moving forward. Uh, but what I don't see are defensive linemen, specifically defensive tackles. Florida's done a good job getting those edge rushers, those buck, uh, that buck position. We mentioned Diabade. We mentioned Chris Bogle. They also landed uh, Lloyd Summerall at that buck position, that weak side defensive end, outside linebacker type of spot that's there to go after the quarterback. But where they're missing are defensive tackles, big body defensive tackles, uh, strong side defensive ends, big guys that can set the edge. And I'm going to go down to Apopka, Florida, four-star defensive tackle Jalen Carter, a guy for his high school team that mainly plays an H-back tight end type of role. Um, we're talking about a 300-pound H-back tight end. Super athletic. He gets a spot duty on the defensive line, and anytime he's on the defensive line, he makes plays. Uh, like His upside is through the roof just because of his athleticism. Apopka, another school that's been kind of Florida. They've had some success there, uh, I think. And just kind of the positional need that Florida has. They have to sign elite defensive tackles. They have to sign a good number of defensive tackles. Um, they already have Gervin Dexter committed, who we list as a defensive tackle, but the six foot five, I'm sorry, six foot six, 280 pounder could also be a strong side defensive. He's a top 100 recruit. And I fully expect to see his his ranking continue to climb as he uh, develops. They also have Johnny Brown uh, committed uh, out of Tampa Middleton, who's listed as a defensive tackle. But again, he may be a strong side defensive end um, with Jalen Carter. I think he's for sure a defensive tackle and he's an uber athletic defensive tackle at, at what is he? Six foot three, 300 pounds. I think he went a sub five forty. Just very explosive and super athletic. I think Florida needs to go and win that battle just because of the positional need. Absolutely. I, I think when you look at this class, if there's not the top need, uh, it's defensive line. And I think that Coach Turner, David Turner, the new defensive line coach, like you mentioned some guys, he's done a good job getting some good time guys in there. But Jalen Carter, I mean, at this point, if you're going to add defensive linemen, you need to add dudes. You need to add top-tier guys, and I think that's what Carter is, just with the, uh, the athleticism that he brings. And I remember uh, scouting William Barnes and Ed Monolis out there whenever a pop, whenever they were high school recruits, and I remember seeing Jalen. I mean, he's the biggest kid on the team, and he's playing tight end. You're like, who is that guy? And a couple years later, here we are. He's playing defensive tackle, and he's still as athletic as he was then. 
Yeah, and I saw him versus uh, Lakeland this year, you know, with Bowman and Keon Zipper and Lloyd Summerall and all those guys. And like he gets open down the up the seam one time and and makes a play. Uh, and you're like, okay, that's a guy that's going down the field, catching a pass for a big gain. But in the future, we're all projecting him as a defensive lineman. Like that's an elite, that's an elite skill set that he has for sure. Um, all right, let's let's move on to Jacksonville and the battle of Jacksonville, which seems to be taking place with the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, Georgia Le- recently landed a commitment from four-star quarterback Carson Beck, who, to be honest, I mean, it was like done deal to Florida. Uh, we had our commitment story written, <laughs> you know, to Florida. And Georgia comes in, offers him, gets him on campus, and next thing you know, Beck is committed to um, Georgia. So now the next battle that seems to be taking place up there is at Oakleaf High School with four-star edge rusher Chance Williams and four-star offensive lineman Jalen Rivers. Um, Blake, kind of give us a breakdown there because it sure seems like it's another Florida-Georgia battle for those two. I agree. I think that if you look at the top, I think it's a Florida-Georgia battle. They've been to both of those schools a lot this past week when they were on spring break. I believe they're at Florida on Tuesday, and then they were at Georgia the following Thursday. So they seem to be the schools that those guys really seem to have a, a just a they make it a point to keep going there. They keep continuing to build the relationship there. And I, I think what is it? Florida State, Miami, and Alabama are the other schools in the mix there. I, I don't know that the in-state schools are, are as big of a threat as Georgia right now. I do think it's a Florida and Georgia battle. Uh, Ch- Chance, obviously, his mom is a Florida State graduate. So, you know, there's connections in there. I think Miami actually had the edge for both of them before the big-time coaching change there. So, you know, some things have changed. But, uh, you know, that, that edge buck position, that's where Chance brings. And he's a big guy. I think, what do you run, a 4-5 at the Nike opening camp? Like, so, I mean, this guy is electric. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned that Miami had the the lead there, and I think they absolutely did. But I think the tide kind of started turning once uh, Mullen took over in Gainesville. That's kind of when it started um, kind of going in Florida's favor, I would say, or at, at least less in Miami's favor, maybe. Sure. Uh, I don't even think by the time the coaching change happened in Miami, I think they were already perhaps moving on, honestly, from, from Miami. Now, Miami's still in it. I just don't think they're in that top two with Georgia and Florida. Um so the interesting thing with this recruitment, though, is that now Georgia hired Todd Hartley, who was their lead recruiter when he worked at Miami previously. They also hired Charlton Warren, who was their lead recruiter when uh, he worked at Florida. So now they have three guys who have been recruiting those two at Georgia. And you know, it's an interesting dynamic. You don't really see that too often where, you know, they literally have two position coaches that were their lead recruiters from two other schools now at uh, another school. And I think that's gotten uh, Georgia right in the thick of it. Um, probably a couple of weeks ago, I would have said Florida had the edge for both. I don't know now, you know, like it, I read their quotes after their Georgia visit and it was interesting. One of them mentioned, you know, we asked them if we could commit and I was like, Whoa, well, where, where'd that come from? Uh, I don't know. I don't come across quotes like that. I mean, what are your thoughts on on hearing them mention, even bringing up the word commit? You know, I've I've been feeling for a while that this has just seemed to trend 
Georgia. I, I don't know. There's just a gut in me just from listening to things that they say. I remember at the Nike opening camp in Orlando, Chance had mentioned, you know, I love Georgia. I love going back there every time. It, it just felt like he just didn't have enough nice things to say about Georgia. And that's when I started to think like, man, Georgia's in this. And I started to come away with, um, you know, my thinking was that as soon as Mullen and the staff got there, Florida became a factor there. I don't think they were one at all when McElwain was there. So Florida was was in there. Now Georgia seems to be making the move. So that's where I was at my thinking for Florida and Georgia. I think they're at the top two. That visit to Georgia and those quotes after, like you said, that's not something we ever hear that, you know, I asked him if I could commit. You know, usually that's A, something that they want to keep under wraps or B, you want to keep it kind of, you know, I like everybody. Everyone's great. So I think that that has said a lot. And, and, you know, I think that Georgia might be the team to watch for now, how long these guys continue to stretch things out and how many visits they continue to take. But yeah, Georgia and Florida right now seem to be like they're battling things out in Jacksonville. And those two are, I I don't want to say they're must wins for Florida, but you don't want your in-state or excuse me, your uh, conference rival coming into what, 45 minutes away from your campus and stealing your guys. You know, I think that that's one where, you know, this this is one that Florida is going to need to kind of change the tides here, in my opinion, I think. Yeah, losing one recruit hurts, especially at quarterback, but losing three top guys, you know, we're talking these are some of the best players in the nation, and they're 45 minutes from your from your campus. Like, you, you can't go for three. I, I just don't think you can go for three. Um yeah, the board, the board at swamp247sports.com would melt down if that happened. <laughs> it would not be good. Um, also in Jacksonville, uh, there's a four-star cornerback, Fred Davis. Uh, Florida's in on, but you know, I don't. He, Fred, just doesn't seem to be loving Florida that much. It seems like Clemson, maybe Ohio State. You know, I don't know. Uh, Jacquez Robinson is currently committed to Alabama. I don't see that sticking. I, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? No way. I don't see that sticking. And I, I had already thought that when he committed and he was still planning to take like 8 billion visits after the fact. So I always kind of started to think there. And then he showed up to Florida's junior day, um, their their last one that they just had. And afterwards he said that, you know, I'm a Florida boy. I, he kind of talked up state pride. Now, obviously he's committed. I know that, but he committed elsewhere. I know that, but it just seems that he's going to continue to keep showing up at Florida. He's that long, lanky man put him on an island corner type of guy that Torian Gray really likes. I think that he's pretty high on Florida's board right now, just from the guys they had. And like you said, not a lot of options at cornerback right now. And I think that that's probably one of the better guys in the state right now at cornerback for, you know, just with the length and the speed that he brings. But, you know, I, I do think that Florida is a big factor for Jacquez Robinson and not so much with Fred Davis. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if you told me that you think uh, Jacquez would flip to Florida, I, I wouldn't hate that take at all like I think there's a good possibility that he could flip obviously LSU is still in there Uh, other schools I mean the guys visited a ton of schools so who knows who's who are really at the top there I just don't think he sticks with Alabama I don't either Uh, um all right moving on Florida's hosted a ton of recruits lately uh a bunch of guys coming in and off campus uh with, with spring break and all these seven on sevens and these different camps around just a lot of guys moving in and out of the state of florida and stopping by gainesville uh, let's just kind of go over some of the the key stops so far first anthony richardson former florida commit right there from gainesville Eastside high school uh he stopped by and actually named florida as leader uh, i guess what was that on saturday this past saturday what's going on there blake you know i it was weird. He's, he decommitted, uh, what was it, in February from Florida saying that 
He wanted to see what was out there. He reeled in some new offers. I think Georgia, UCF, Rutgers, you know, a couple others came in the mix there. Michigan was another one. Penn State is a school he has mentioned for quite a while now. But it just seemed like you're not taking any visits. He hasn't checked anything out there. He continues to show up at Florida, and they're right there. Um, I know he's planning an official visit possibly to Penn State at some time. He's kicked around uh, Michigan visit too, but no direct dates there. He keeps showing up at Florida. Uh, he mentions that the coaching staff makes him feel like family. They're the leader. It just seems that this is trending back to him ending up back in the class at Florida. Yeah, when he decommitted, I thought, okay, we're going to see him. He's going to take a bunch of other visits. He's going to go see some other schools because, like, that was the reasoning that we were told was, like, he just wants to be recruited. He's a Gainesville guy. He committed to Florida so early. His recruitment hasn't taken off, so he wanted to open it up and, and see what's out there. Well, he's got the offers. He's got other offers, but he hadn't been anywhere. Uh, he hadn't seen any of his Penn State. And I think if there was a team that maybe, you know, would be Florida's biggest uh, competitor, it would be them. But he's yet to set up that official visit date. He just talks about, I want to take one, but there's no date set. Um, Penn State already has a quarterback committed. That's the other thing. Um, My take on the whole situation was he was committed to Florida and Florida was still pursuing Carson Beck. And I think that is what kind of turned him off. I don't know. What do you think of that? The timing was very eerie. Yeah, because it was – they both visited for a junior day. Uh, Beck basically admitted that Florida was his leader at that time, coming off that junior day. He was going to decommit from Alabama because he was still, I guess, publicly committed to Alabama, even though he was telling people behind the scenes that that wasn't going to last. But, yeah, the timing was a little weird because it was right after that junior day in February is when uh, Anthony backed off that commitment. Right. It just seemed to move very quickly at a certain time to where it kind of makes you scratch your head. Yeah. Yeah. But now that Beck's moved on uh, to Georgia, you know, I think I think it's a matter of time before he commits to Florida until he shows up on another campus. I'm not going to believe he's going to go anywhere else until he visits another campus. Sure. I think he's he's not planning. He's not planning to commit or excuse me. He's planning to commit after spring ball, too. So, you know, you, you name a school, your leader, and then a not far off future, you're going to have a commitment date. Shh, I, I think it just seems that he's going to end up back in the class. Yeah. Next guy, let's talk about is DeLand safety. Avante Williams, four-star guy that can kind of move around different spots in the uh, secondary. He's currently committed to Oregon, has never visited Oregon's campus, though. But he's been to Florida's, what, past two junior days? So he was there in February. He was there in March. What's going on there? Also been to Georgia for a junior day recently. He was just at Miami, I think, yesterday Yep. or Saturday, one of the two. Um you know, never visited Oregon, has, a, I believe, a four, three, five-month-old daughter, so a newborn still. I just – that's a long way to go with a, with a baby, one, and two, never have visited. Yeah, for right now, until he visits, I'm just – I think that commitment is suspect. So I did talk to him, and he did rave about the coaching staff at Oregon and kind of their – just their energy. And I, I think that has certainly impressed him. And I think that's what had without a doubt, that's what has him committed right now. It's just their energy with Mario Cristobal and, and his whole staff really uh, likes Dante Williams too. Correct. Just the, the defensive back coach there that, uh, that whole staff just exudes energy and, you know, they're doing a great job on the, the recruiting trail. But like you said, as this thing stretches out, the more visits he takes, and it seems like he's taking a ton of them, I I just have a hard time believing that he's going to go all the way out there. If if Oregon does sign him, 
hats off to them. That's a that's a great that's sure. a great get for them. If they if he goes to Oregon and does sign there, I think you got to like you said that that's a big time win for Mario Cristobal because there are a lot of teams on the East Coast, central part of the state. It doesn't matter where in the country there are. Everybody wants this kid. A lot of schools are still talking to him. So. What is it? Three thousand miles between the West Coast out there in Florida. That's a long way, and there's still a long time here before that. And he's obviously visited Florida twice. They're pushing for him. They need safety help. Absolutely. I, I think that you know, whenever you have not only this Florida battling for him, you have Miami, LSU, Georgia. I believe Ole Miss. He's mentioned. There's a lot of big time SEC schools that are way closer than Oregon that he could go to. And again, you bring the dynamic of having a baby. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just. That's that's a hard move for him, and and I think that if they can get past that, that's commendable. Yeah, and, and he was previously committed to Miami, like that was his first commitment. So, um, you know, he obviously has an affinity with that program there. Um, I still think Florida is. If he flips, I still think Florida. I don't know. I, I don't feel great about it, but I feel like Florida would be the team that flips him. A guy who's made two commitments already, and one of them to a school he's never visited. I don't think you can feel comfortable anywhere until the ink dries on the paper. Sure, sure. All right. Another guy that Florida was able to get in was four-star defense tackle Tim Smith out of Sebastian River. Now, Tim, back at the Future 50 in January there in Orlando, made no bones about it. Clemson was his leader. He even said he was going to commit to Clemson uh, during spring ball or after spring ball, something like that. Well, Clemson lands two four-star top 247 defensive tackles, and they no longer have room for Tim Smith so that kind of blows up that recruitment what's the latest with Tim where do you think he's leaning you know he had he's another guy who has visited Florida uh, quite a few times now he seemed to really like David Turner on that last visit he visited for the junior day earlier this month it just seems when you when I saw him at the junior day there was just multiple Florida staffers coaches players around him you can tell that this is a priority guy for them Again, we've already touched on how big defensive line recruiting is for Florida this cycle. And I mean, it must be nice for Clemson to have that many good dudes in their class to be able to turn someone like Tim Smith away. So, you know, I think that this opens the door for Florida. This is a guy they're obviously going to put the, you know, the pedal to the metal on and they're going to keep trying to get him on campus and they're going to try to, I guess, climb up the ladder. Just from talking to him in the past, Florida's in it. He likes Florida, but he just seems so enamored with Clemson. And it just seemed like that's what he was focused on that now that. He's going to have to start looking around. I think this is where Florida's trying to jump up and down in his face saying, look at us, look at us. Absolutely. It seems like his recruitment hit a reset button. And I agree with you on that as far as he never seemed super enamored with Florida previously. It was all Clemson and all that. So it's it's kind of like, where does he go now? And now that Clemson's out, who is Florida's biggest competition in this recruitment? I don't know. I can't get a good read. He mentioned Georgia. Um, but that's another team that has two defensive tackles already committed. Um you know, so I don't know where he fits on their board either. Um, it, it's a it's a strange recruitment. Uh, like I said, I think I think it just hit reset. You know, and now we got to figure out who are the teams that he really likes and who are the teams that really want him. Obviously, Florida really wants him. It's a huge priority for them. They really want to win that battle. Uh, we'll see. I guess where he shows up moving forward. Another guy, uh, this kid, another committed prospect, Isaiah Walker Jr a four-star offensive tackle out of Miami Norland High School, currently committed to South Carolina, uh, visited Florida for the junior day, visited Miami the following day after that, has been at Florida State recently. Uh, this is a guy who I thought was done deal, going to flip to Florida. 
and then Miami got in it. Now Florida State's in it, and it's kind of muddied the waters a little bit. What do you think's going on with uh, Walker right now? It's funny because every time I've talked to Walker, I believe it was last year, uh, the previous staff under McElwain was originally who offered him, mm-hmm. but he came back last year for a camp. He was. It seemed like he was a done deal to Florida even when McElwain was there, but obviously the coaching changes happened there. Then the new staff reoffers him. I thought he was going to flip last year, the way he was talking about Florida. Then he came back for that junior day in February, and here we go again. I'm like, man, this kid sounds like he's going to flip. I remember texting you saying, I think Isaiah Walker is about to flip to Florida, just the way he's talking about it. Then, like you said, Miami comes in. I believe there's some kind of family connection to Florida State. I'm not exactly sure exactly what it is, but I, I believe there is one there some way, somehow. Um, so, you know, it definitely also does well in Miami. Sure, like there's, they, do. They, they, they do better in Miami than Florida does for whatever reason. But it seems like that it went from this seemed like a dead set flip. Florida's it seemed like a matter of time. And now new offers are coming in. Uh, he just seems to be kind of slowing things down a little bit. Now he's talking about official visits. He's talking about, uh, you know, wanting to continue to check out South Carolina. It's not like he's completely thrown South Carolina to the side. I do think that they've got a lot of work to cut out with these in-state powers pushing, but it just seems like this is another one that I don't want to say it's hit reset, but it's definitely slowed down a ton. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, Miami caused him some pause. I do think the FSU trip also did as well. Uh, and I mean, Miami's right there in his backyard. So, you know, if they're pushing, you know, they're going to give those, they're going to give him a look. It's just, it's just how it is. It's what you deal with recruiting down there. Um, I do know South Carolina knows that they're in for a dogfight just to keep him. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's probably not going to go to South Carolina, I, but they're not conceding him. He doesn't see, like I said, he's not like he's thrown them away completely. It just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. History says he's probably not signing right, for South right. Carolina. So, <laughs> But that he's a super athletic offensive tackle. Florida needs offensive tackles. They they need they did a good job with interior linemen. They need a guy that you know is an offensive tackle, and I think Isaiah Walker is that. He doesn't have maybe ideal height at six three and a half or six four, but he's so athletic that he can play that position, offensive tackle position in college, and be fine. He doesn't need to be six five six six. Um, so that's, that's a, why that's a priority for Florida, just because of the needed offensive tackle. Uh, last guy talk about Jonathan Odom, tight end out of Tampa Jesuit. Uh, he's visited a lot of schools as well. Mentioned about coming back to Florida for the spring game. Uh, what, what do you think's going on there? You know, this is family legacy. Dad, Jason Odom played offensive line for Florida under Spurrier, uh, at first, when I talked to him, it was kind of weird because, you know, you don't really hear kids be kind of open with things. But when Florida offered, at first he was kind of put out that it took him so long to offer. But it seemed like the visit he took completely changed things. They did. It wasn't Florida pitching, you're Jason Odom's son. It was, you're your own person. And I think that that's something that's going to register more with him. I don't think that he's going to want to be the son of former Florida player. But again, this is a guy who's pushing a ton of offers. He's taken a lot of visits. He seems like he wants to have it done near the summer. Uh, the official, He's talking about an official to Florida for their spring game, so that's another visit there. Uh, I know Florida has a commitment from Jeremiah Johnson, but it seems like they're going to continue to keep pressing for other tight ends. Jaheim Bell is another guy they like at H-back. Obviously, Odom has that ideal size for blocking. So, you know, I think Florida is in it, but it does seem like a lot of heavy hitters are in here. And it, I don't want to say it seems like he's a— He's not your typical legacy, oh, we offered him, he's a lock. I think he's going to continue to look around, but Florida's obviously in it. He's got family ties there. He's from Tampa. 
Ford, Ford is very much in it, but I don't think it's it's going to be a complete layup, if that makes sense. So the good thing with Odom is the fact that he's six foot six and he's 240 pounds already. He's a traditional inline tight end, which Florida, uh, you know, they signed Keon Zipperer last year, great player, but he's six foot two, 230 pounds, whatever. He's a guy that you're going to move around a little bit. He's not sure. a tr- like he can be an inline guy, but he uh, probably is going to be a little bit limited when he has to go up against SEC defensive ends. You're, he's a guy you want to get out maybe in the slot, you know, try to find mismatches for him. Whereas Odom is a straight up, you know, uh, he's attached to the tackle, hand in dirt, you know, traditional inline tight end. Uh, with Which that Florida size. doesn't have either. So, no. I mean, that's definitely – Mullen is one of those guys that's going to bring in kind of guys. He's going to move them around. He's going to think of different ways to use guys, and he just doesn't have a guy like that on the roster. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Jaheim Bell, who's another H-back type. He's six foot two, 200, and I have, what do you measure in at? 220, I think, this 220, weekend. something like that. Yeah, so he's not a, a traditional inline tight end. Um, you – Jeremiah Johnson, I don't think that commitment sticks, but that's another yeah. story. But regardless, he's six foot seven, two hundred pounds. He still has to fill out. Um, he still has to add more weight. Uh, and he's another guy that probably is a little bit better split out into the slot um, and, and you move him around a little bit. So, all right, Blake, let's wrap things up. Uh, that was uh, good. Went over, wrapped up uh, 2019 class, dove into 2020 class. And uh, we'll have more coming uh, in the weeks to come.